is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, April 5th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk is working from the Schwenk Studios back in Bristol, um, Buster only out in Montana, and Sarah Abbott's working from Florida. Sarah. Oh, yes. We are in Tampa visiting the family and getting ready to see my Lord and Savior, Taylor Swift. So this is going to be the best, the best vacation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I thought we got when we started calling Taylor the Rev that we got a lot of blowback on that one. But, you know, Taylor Swift being the Lord and Savior. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. No one uh, me. For the record, Sarah's just kidding. Joke. <laughs> I'm kidding. Disclaimer, I am joking. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think we had our first real pitch clock controversy on Tuesday. Manny Machado, the Padres, was at the plate. He raised his hand. He asked for time. But Ron Culpa, home plate umpire, called a strike on him, strike three, because in Culpa's mind, he hadn't engaged with the pitcher yet. Uh, Manny argued. He was ejected. Here's what it sounded like. Manny's just been called out for an automatic third strike. He called time, and now he and Ron Culpa are discussing it. Bob Melvin's coming out. This is not reviewable. It's not going to change. Manny has just taken an automatic third strike, and so it's a 1-2-3 bottom of the first. I saw him ask for time. Bob Melvin's been ejected, and uh, now Manny's coming back towards Culpa, which nobody needs. Got to keep him in the game. Third base coach Mike Schilt in the vicinity as well. And Bob Melvin's been tossed for the first time this year. They tell us uh, you can't argue these pitch clock things the same way you can't argue balls and strikes. Manny asked for time, didn't get it. And the conversation is continuing a little bit more calmly now around home plate. I think it's Bob that's been tossed. By the way, it might have been Manny. I think it's Manny that got tossed. Just saw the replay. Manny may have said a magic word. So uh, a quick day for one of those guys. And it was. In fact, Manny Machado, that was the call on 97.3, the fan. Now, the Padres moved ahead without Machado in their lineup. They took a 5-1 to lead in the fifth. To left field for Bogarts. Carroll going back at the wall. It's gone! Xander Bogarts hits his third home run in a Padres uniform and puts the Padres on top 5-1. to He plays in San Diego. That was Don Orsillo on the Padres television network. But you know what? The Diamondbacks would come back. And now the pitch. Swung on. That's a flare shallow center. And that ball's going to drop in front of Grisham. Perdomo got a great read. He coasts home. And Arizona now in front. It is 6-5. The Diamondbacks win the game 8-6. And after the game, all the conversation was about what happened with Manny Machado. Here's Padres manager Bob Melvin. I don't think you maybe saw it in time. Um... I thought he did, and Manny obviously thought he did, but um, that's you're going to see some of that. And unfortunately, it was a strike three. Here's Manny Machado. I heard time. So I was like, okay, there's my time. And I stepped out the box, and I was in a, and then he came up to me. He's like, yeah, you're, you're out. You're, you're out. Um, and I was like, but I just thought you granted me time. I uh, wasn't really sure there. It kind of got me confused there. As you can see, and everyone's seen, my hand was up by eight seconds for my time, and Guess I just didn't. I wasn't. wasn't good enough to get awarded for it. At ten seconds, I knew I was already coming down. I wasn't ready, so um, you know. By the time I looked back to go get the time, I looked at him and I called time, and I knew I had enough time. Um, you know, obviously he said I was at. I called time too late. That I called it at seven seconds. 
that's his opinion. I know what I saw and I know what I felt. I mean, that's, that's I knew I had enough time to call that time out and I just didn't get it. And he took offense at something you said. Mm-hmm. What was it that you expressed? Wouldn't you love to know? I would, because yeah. you got tossed for it. Yeah, no, that's that's between me and him. Eduardo Perez will be joining us in just a moment to talk about what happened with Manny Machado. And, and there's going to be an interesting twist with Manny this weekend, by the way. The Braves and Cardinals in Atlanta took a 2-0 lead at the top of the first. Already tracking the 40-40 potential. This one to left center. Did Riley do it again? Yes, he did. Stay hot, Austin Riley. Two-run homer. And the Braves, just like yesterday, jump on top of the first. Now, the Cardinals were down 4-1. to That sound, by the way, from the Braves television network. The Cardinals are down 4-1. to Tyler O'Neill got thrown out at home plate. It was a conversation between O'Neill and his manager, Ali Marmol, uh, during the course of the game. And after the game, uh, they talked about the exchange that they had. Uh, it was clear uh, the manager not happy with Tyler. Yeah, we got a lot of guys playing really hard. That's not our style of play as far as the, the effort rounding the bag there. Um, it's unacceptable. He was pretty blunt about it. He didn't think I gave the best effort. Um, um, you know, I'm out here every day grinding my grinding my ass off, um, you know, giving it my all and uh, trying to stay in the field for 160 games out here. So, um, you know, like I said, I just got to get a better jump next time and, and I guess, you know, just get around, get around the base a little quicker and, um, you know, be in there next time. Taylor, some great news. Your Orioles are calling up Grayson Rodriguez to make his debut later today against the Texas Rangers. How excited are you? Happy Grayson Rodriguez Day to all who celebrate. Buster, do you think it has to do with um, Kyle Bradish getting injured, or do you think that we just have so much sway in the baseball world that might go No, in other words, you're saying what you're really saying is that you made it happen with the rant that you had last week. Buster, it takes two to tango, baby. You were involved too. I mean, you're you're right along with me. You're in you're in my little private army here, pushing things along with the Orioles. Don't don't get it twisted. Well, we got Bleacher tweets today asking about Taylor and his future role and whether or not mm-hmm. we should have a special segment for him. Mm. Uh, yeah. That uh, Taylor making an impression, maybe on the Orioles. So Grayson Rodriguez start today. Congratulations to him. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. For the Milwaukee Brewers facing the Mets, yeah, life was good. Garrett Mitchell had himself a day. And here it is. Get in the air. Bob Euchre fighting to be heard above the crowd on 620 WTMJ. The Brewers win 9-0 over the Mets the day after they won 10-0. We're going to be talking about the Mets and the pitching staff with Eduardo. The Marlins against the Twins and the defending NL Cy Young Award winner, he was phenomenal. Nothing and won the count to Larnick. Here's the pitch. He swings and hits a ground ball. Behind the bag at second. Birdie has it. Steps on the bag. Throws the first and the ball game is over. Sandy Alcantara in his second start of the season has fired his first complete game of the season. It's the fifth complete game shutout of this all-star and Cy Young Award winner's career. 
And it took an hour and 57 minutes for Sandy to pitch that game. That was impressive. The Phillies, looking for their first win of the regular season, faced the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and Kyle Schwarber gave them an early lead. Yeah, the pitch from Irvine is into the air to right center field. Going back on it is Stanton, and it is long gone. Kyle Schwarber having fun. His first home run of the year, and the Phillies take a one nothing lead. I think he stays loose. The defending National League champions win the game 4-1. to Here is the final call. 0-2. He kicks the pitch. Breaking ball popped up. Right side. Hall coming across the bag into foul ground. He's under it. He's got it. The ball game's over. Phillies have their first win of the season. That was Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Kyle Schwarber was the one who got it done for the Phillies. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. With supplies and solutions for every industry, Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You know who's been getting it done also? How about Brian Reynolds of the Pirates? This was against the Red Sox on Tuesday. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball, right center field, deep to the wall, and gone! Brian Reynolds hits it into the Red Sox bullpen. He has homered again. Number four for Brian Reynolds. The Pirates lead it 3-1. to one. 93.7 The Fan Sports Radio. Right now, Brian Reynolds is 9-for-21 with those four homers, batting 429 early in this season. How good must this feel for A.J. Hinch, the Detroit manager? They beat the Astros again. Here's a drive. Deep left field. No doubt about it. All the way off the high side. And Spencer Torkelson blows it up here in Houston with his first homer of the year. Oh, my. Yeah, 6-3 was the final there. Some other notes. The Braves officially placed Max Fried on the 15-day injured list. That was expected after he had the little hamstring tweet tweak on opening day. The Rangers' Josh Smith, who was hit in the face by a pitch, had six stitches, but thankfully no fractures in his face. And the Associated Press reported that the average Major League salary went up 11% year over year to $4.9 million. That's the largest jump for the sport since 2001. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, a pair of things to remote here. Uh, Tuesday morning, Sarah and I, we hit record on the College Game Day podcast National Championship Recap at 1.45 a.m., and I sent my show note out at uh, 3.50 a.m. So uh, Pete Thamel, Reese Davis did a really good job wrapping things up on the college basketball season. And then uh, yesterday afternoon, recorded a master's preview on SV Pod with Scott Van Pelt and Andy North from Augusta National. Very good listen. Um, some good gambling advice for everyone getting to their master's pools. Um, so get those lineups in before uh, they tee off on Thursday. Check that out. SV Pod and the College Game Day podcast. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eduardo Perez is an analyst on Sunday Night Baseball. Eduardo, how are you? I'm doing well, Buster. Always an honor to be here with you. Well, it's always an honor to have you. And you are at a car wash as we speak? (laughs) I'm on my way to a car wash, but before that, I'm going to therapy to get that knee better. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> after, uh, let's start with this. As long as you use the word therapy, I-, I think maybe we should talk about what happened with the Cardinals yesterday. Oliver Marmol, their manager, calling out Tyler O'Neill after he was thrown out at home plate. Uh, Ollie basically indicating he didn't feel like that he got 100% effort out of Tyler. Tyler responding. And the thing that jumped out to me uh, is that you don't ever hear that stuff from the organization that used to play with Eduardo. You don't see a lot of stuff between managers and players come spilling out like this. What did you make of all that? No, you really don't. And, you know, it, it caught me by surprise, one, because it was a 4-1 to one game, Buster. They were losing 4-1. to one. There were two outs. And you have one of the better arms in baseball, in Ronald Acuna Jr. in right field. And as a player, you're taught, you know, to think, what, what's the situation? What's going on um, on the field? If it's a hard hit line drive, the ball was hit at 99.5 miles per hour off the bat um, to right field. You know where your defense is. Pop Warner, yes, he did send Tyler O'Neill. And Tyler O'Neill at the time in a five in a 4-1 game, what's the first thing that he's thinking about? That, don't make an out on the bases. Let the line keep moving. He takes a secondary. I looked at this play from the high home situation because it really caught me off guard when Ali Marmol uh, called out one of his fastest runners in Tyler O'Neill. Um, it took him 7.31 seconds from the secondary to get to home on that. Is he quicker than that? Is he faster? Yes. But in that situation as a base runner, I have to be 100% sure that I am going to score standing up the home plate on a 4-1 game late in a game. And um, I think this one was Pop Warner's fault for sending him uh, in, in this situation. You got to keep that line moving. And I think as a base runner, and I was always taught by my, my, my father, Tony Perez, he always told me, he said, look, the, the best base runner I've ever, ever seen was Willie Mays. 
And to this day, he'll say the same thing. And we all know that our colleague, Tim Kirchin, says that base running is at his worst right now than he's ever seen it. So let's take Willie Mays as a high standard. And my father would say, Willie never needed a coach to tell him when to go or when not to go when he knew where the outfielders were, when he knew how hard the ball was hit, and when he knew what the score was. And because of the score being 4-1, to one, I don't think Tyler O'Neill was at fault, and I don't think he deserved to, to be um, called out publicly by his manager at that point. I think you would agree with me that most of the time when you hear these uh, hear about these incidents, it usually is after an accumulation of issues Agreed. with the player. In other words, a manager behind the scenes is saying, look, you got to run out that ball. Uh, you can't stand at home plate and watch it and have it bounce off the fence. You do it again, then there's a problem. Absolutely. I don't remember ever seeing anything with Tyler O'Neill. I, ne- I never heard anybody question his effort. I, I mean, am I wrong in that? No, you're 100% right. I mean, from his physique to the way he hustles down the line to the way at any ground ball he's always running. And let's not forget another thing. It was raining. It was drizzling. The the, right. the grass was wet. And Tyler O'Neill already had hamstring issues from last year. And what they told him the entire time is, look, we need you for the entire 162. We need your bat. And we need you in the lineup. So all those things added up. It caught me off guard. And I wonder if it was not just a message to Tyler, but maybe a message to the entire team, a younger team, even though he does have Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado there, it's still a young team and um, a very talented team that's favored to win it. And he doesn't want base running to be an issue. And he used Tyler O'Neill as an example, but um, it it just, it, it totally threw me off guard because it was a four to one game and where it was, it did not deserve that type of uh, public uh, public lashing from the manager. Yeah, and I think you'll remember this. I uh, the first time that I worked in the alongside the Cardinals dugout, uh, you know, Ollie, as you know, when you talk to him one on one, he's incredibly engaging. He's got a great sense Absolutely. of humor. He's super funny. And then the game started, and it's like it's like Tim Kirkchen. Uh, playing basketball. He turns into the Incredible Hulk when I've been alongside or interviewed him in-game. You can just feel that sort of seething competitiveness coming out of Ollie. I kind of wondered if some of that seeped over. Does that make sense? That, that does make sense. You know, the frustration of having lost another another game as yeah. well, uh, that probably seeped, uh, seeped into it. Uh, but, you know, he has to have his reasons. This is a very methodical uh, person, even though he's only one year into the managing Um, Very methodical, has been trained really well for this position. And every time, as you said, we go in there, um, he's he's always under control. So I wonder what the message and who the message was for in reality. All right. Uh, Yesterday we had uh, a moment which you knew this as soon as you heard about it it was going to go viral, especially for the old schoolers who don't like the pitch clock. Manny Machado's at home plate. The pitch clock is going down and just – Somewhere between nine and eight seconds, he raises his hand to call timeout. Ron Copa, the home plate umpire, doesn't give it to him, and he calls a strike three on Machado, uh, indicating that uh, he wasn't engaged quickly enough. He wasn't engaged by time. Manny argued. He got tossed out of the game. What did you make of that whole situation? I'm just wondering, Buster, you imagine if this would have been the last inning, the ninth inning, in a, in a tied game or, or they were down by one with a runner at third. Um, 
I think right now, Major League Baseball, I think the umpires are sending a message still that, yeah, what we did in spring training, we will dare and continue to do during the regular season because we're on a clock. It's just like that shot, uh, the, uh, the timer when it was set in the NBA in 1954. It was done to create action. Where, where Major League Baseball has created action, the numbers are there to back it up, at least in this first week. They're there to back it up at the minor leagues um, throughout the la- through, from the last year, from 2021 to 2022. So right now, I think this is another message that is being sent to the league, uh, to, the league to the players, letting them know that if you're going to ask for time, do it before the nine-second mark. If you get into the gray area, there will be an umpire that will call it. There might be another one that won't. It's uh, d- d- definitely depends on on each umpire. But I don't think we'll have these issues come August, September, and in October. We're seeing these now in August and in, in in April. And just like the the transfer rule we saw at one point, just like we saw yep. the Dudley rule, the Posey rule. Um, there's so many others around the bag. Uh, that we're not seeing that much of an issue anymore, I think. But at the beginning, we did. I think this is going to fall into the same trend, especially veteran umpires that aren't used to these new rules going out and doing it, just like Larry Vanover did it the other day at at Lone Depot Park with the Mets and Marlins, just like we saw yesterday with the D-backs and, um, and the Padres. So clarify, if you can, what is Machado expected to do when it comes to calling a timeout in that situation? Um, expected to do, make sure you do it before that nine-second mark. Um, yes, the hitter has to be attentive at, and engaged at the eight-second mark, but don't wait for the eight-second mark. It's at the nine-second mark that you can ask for time. At the eight-second mark, the umpire will have the ability to do what he just did, uh, like Ron Culpa did. Um, It's a gray area, a little bit there, but if you as a hitter don't want it to be gray, call time before the nine-second mark. Yeah, and I think that that's probably what Manny walked out of there thinking, and I kind of wonder if Ron Culpa, and you know him in a way that I don't, I know him say hi, uh, if he walked away from that, saw the replay, and said, maybe I should have had some more latitude. What do you think? And, And another thing that people are looking at is the hand, right? As a hitter, when you're in the box, even when there was no time in baseball, you would call time before you raise your hand. So you step into the box or you're fixing your batting gloves and you're saying time, time, and then you raise your hand. So you go time, time, then you raise your hand. So we're not sure. We have to look and see if there's a camera angle that at the nine-second mark, Manny Machado did ask for time because he even said it publicly. I asked for time and it just wasn't given to me when he thought it was at the at the appropriate uh, time. Yeah, you ask for time unless you're Derek Jeter. Uh, you remember how he would always step into the box and he would raise his hand? And it was Andrew mm-hmm. McCutcheon who pointed out to me that he doesn't actually ask for time. He just <laughs> raises his hand <laughs> with the expectation that everyone's going to wait for him. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so after almost a week, full week of the uh, pitch clock rules, the new rules, what do you make of it? What are you hearing? Uh, after after the the week, you know the players are loving it. The players are really engaged. They love that they're off their feet earlier. They love that they're home earlier. Um, look, it's a side effect. Everybody everybody thinks that the the, the new rules are set to, to make the game faster. No, it's to get action, and we've seen more action. We've seen action on the bases. 
uh, players stealing bases. We've seen more action with players making athletic plays, diving, um, and we're seeing dirtier uniforms. I think the only guys that don't like this right now are the clubhouse attendants that are have to clean that have to clean the uniforms. <laughs> Yeah, you're right uh, about, you know, they're getting exactly what they wanted in terms of having more stolen base attempts. That's up by more than 100% the first week. You get more hits, you get more runs, and uh, so that's going well. Where are you walking now? Uh, oh, now you can see me, huh? Uh, no, I can't. Oh, but you can hear me. You can hear me walking. Great. I'm walking straight into therapy I right figured now. There's, there's some fan yelling at you saying, I love the pitch clock. I don't know. Can somebody yell, I love the pitch clock? I love the pitch clock. See, they're yelling, I love the pitch clock. They love the pitch clock right now, Buster. (laughs) All right. Yesterday we got news uh, that broke. I think it was the Associated Press that the Major League Baseball average salary is up 11% or was up 11% last year to $4.9 million. We finally, I think after about five or six years of constant regression for the middle class in baseball, Eduardo, it's not only the guys at the top of the food chain, but the guys in the middle getting paid more. Guys in the middle are getting paid more, definitely. The average salary also went up. Um, and, and, and the low part about it is the, the, the rookies also the salary went up. So that helps uh, in, a, in a big way. But the star players are getting paid. And because the star players are getting paid, those th- that 11% is where it's at. Um, we're seeing a lot of four, number fours. Number fives also getting paid when it comes to rotation guys. Bullpen guys, um, situational pitchers are now being recognized as well. High leverage pitching is being recognized as well. And because we're seeing a lot of pitchers on the IL, there are teams that are that were very aggressive early on because they needed depth. And I think that plays a major part in all of this. Um, you know, Buster, the the game is trending in, in, in a major way as far as um, where it's uh, where it's going. There's a lot of money in the game. A lot of uh, we're seeing the Padres give so many multi-year deals that we still don't know how they're going to be able to do it ten years from now. But as far as they're concerned, it's putting a winning product out on the field, and the fans love a winning product with those names. Thirty-four thousand plus went to a Tuesday afternoon game in San Diego. I repeat. 34,000 plus in attendance. How cool was that? Yeah, when I see on social media all the time, baseball's dying, I always just point out the average salary. It's not climbing 11% if the money's not there to pay. And the fact that they baseball is making money, these teams are making money, the players are more mon- making more money, yeah, all that tells you that the sport's in a good place. Two more quick ones for you. Uh, the Mets, some ugliness, the first time through the rotation. Uh, Max Scherzer, second start yesterday. Gave up three homers on off-speed pitches. And I look, I, I, it's a small sample size. Not reading anything into it. The Mets are a really good team. But the fact is, Eduardo, they did bank a lot on older guys in their rotation. Carlos Carrasco's velocity is down a mile and a half. Verlander's 40 years old. Start the year on the injured list. Max Scherzer, his last 10 starts, dating back to last August, he's got a 4.68 ERA. What do you make of the Mets? And. We also have a timer on them, so the velocity is going to go down a little bit, right? Oh, Carrasco, got, before he even threw the first pitch of the season, he got penalized already for a ball. But he was already behind in the count um, because of the timer. I think the veteran guys are going, to, are going to struggle early. They're going to figure it out later on. And um, it's, 
it's a small sample size, but there has to be concern. There has to be concern because Verlander is on the IL. There has to be concern because um, 19 runs, a 19-run differential um, have just been created in Milwaukee for the New York Mets. You know, they lost the first one 10 nothing, second one 9 nothing, back to back to back, then back to back, same guys. It's the first time that had happened in Milwaukee in years. Um, and and to be able to see that Max Scherzer's given up, and he's always given up a lot of solo shots. He's given up a lot of home runs. But to be able to see him do that, um, we're not used to that. We're not used to that. And I, and I get it. The back-to-back-to-back was Scherzer. The other one was Brooks Raley. Um, either way, it's Scherzer who sets the tone, especially after having a loss 10 nothing, And his offense couldn't come through, and he couldn't come through on the mound as well. Uh, 60 seconds left. We got Braves and Padres from Atlanta on Sunday night baseball this week. Uh, we were talking during the game on Sunday night and, and Coney said he was looking forward maybe to seeing Spencer Strider. And I said, no, Dylan Dodd, rookie. <laughs> well, that's actually looking pretty good after the way he threw yesterday. And guess who's wearing the microphone for us on Sunday? Manny Machado. I know you'll be the guy <laughs> to ask him about the pitch clock. You know, I'm going to be the guy and I'm hoping that he also wears it up to hit. So when he does ask for time, we can hear him say time, time. time. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be like Cindy Lauper being there time after time all the time. But most importantly here, Buster, is, you know, Dylan Dodd, what an outing he had in St. Louis. He went to college in, in, in Missouri, and he had over 150 people in the stands there. That's, that, you, know, you think you'll have over 150 people in the stands in in, in Tourist Park, I'm hoping because, look, players are superstitious, aren't they? Yeah, oh, well, yeah, just a little bit. You're right near the top of the list, I think. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, Eduardo, thanks for doing this. You got it, Buster. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN and also on Dodger games. And, Jess, you start tonight, right? Your first game? Yeah, first game, uh, road trip. Um, Daughters of Diamondbacks. Um, we actually open up tomorrow. I'm getting on the plane here in about two hours, but um, Diamondbacks and Giants. Nice. That sounds it'll it'll be a blast. I'm sure. Knowing that different people have different interpretations of the same events, uh, we just got done talking with Eduardo Perez. He gave us his take on the confrontation between Tyler O'Neill and his manager. Uh, yesterday, we heard the voices of those uh, players. I'm curious what your take on that was. I mean, he definitely was not giving like his mo- the, the most effort, you know, that he possibly could. And then he talked about how, you know, or he's mentioned how, you know, because of leg injuries in the past, which if for some reason that was a reason to not round third base and like give it everything that you've got you need to let your third base coach know that <laughs> because I mean, he was hosed at home. And I think that's exactly why Ollie Marmel's frustration was just more of like, you can't, I mean, it, and we're not talking like 90%, 80. I mean, it was like a good 70, 75% as he was a crumpling around third base and looked like a spring training game. And I get it because that run, all those moments matter. Plus, you know, you leave your third base coach out to dry because he's assuming as we've seen Tyler O'Neill, when he's maximum effort, he can get he can get around that base and would have been able to at least make the play a close play. You know, I kind of like that because you and Eduardo very different takes on uh, on that play and and who was at fault and what should have happened and uh, and that's pretty cool. All right, with Manny Machado, what was your take on what happened there? Yeah, with Manny, I my biggest thing, and it's not even 
the Machado, because that's like a whole conversation on, you know, calling time out earlier, like, you know, understanding every hitter is going to have to adjust. I mean, we're seeing it with Rafael Devers, but being around spring and you are obviously around too. I understand like pitch clock. I'm like all for everything that's happening. But to me, the eight second engagement rule, like had me scratching my head when we were first learning the rules as it was just because, okay, if the hitter's not ready and they're not engaged with the pitcher, quote unquote, engaged is the rule, you know, says then the pitcher can pitch the ball and it's the hitter's fault, right? Like if you're not like paying attention, the whole point is to be in the batter's box. I get that. Make sure that you are in the batter's box. But as someone who had an, an interesting routine myself, I didn't like to look at the pitcher. I didn't want to look at the pitcher until they were starting their motion. I liked to be able to concentrate. I had my, like my mindset. There were places that I looked, my bat, the play. I'm in the box and I am ready. But I don't agree with the fact that you have to be engaged looking at the pitcher. That's on you. <laughs> like if you're not ready, like as long as you're in the box and let's say it gets to seven seconds, six seconds, and now the pitcher's throwing the ball and you're not looking, then guess who disadvantage that is? The hitters. So the fact that you have this rule, I just I find it of all the rules, I'm all for 100 percent But the eight second engagement, I'm kind of like, look. It's on the hitter if they don't seem like they're ready, but every hitter is going to have their own way of doing that. So you're basically saying that what you'd like to see is tell the hitters, hey, guys, you're in the box. As soon as eight seconds, the pitcher might deliver the ball and you better be ready. Yeah, and it's on you. I mean, my thing is have two feet in the batter's box. Like make sure that at that point, like whether it's 10 seconds, whatever point you want to make it, that the batter is in the batter's box. It's up to them if they want to look at the pitcher or not, because every hitter's got their own jam. And that's like, that's my biggest thing is to penalize a batter for doing their thing when they're going to be penalized in their own way. For some reason, they're not ready. And trust me, Buster, they'll be ready. Like every hitter understands pitchers coming at me. They know the motion. It's a rhythm of the game. You can tell when a pitcher's about to start, when they're going to go, whether you need to be engaged with them or not is up to the hitter. Yesterday or two days ago, we got word that Anthony Rendon was suspended for four days or four games. Um, it was actually sort of negotiated down Major League Baseball initially. was talking five games and in, in concert with the Players Association, they settled on four games. I I figured that it was going to be something like that, Jess, because Rendon, uh, bottom line is you can't put your hands on the fans. Uh, and I think that's even if the fan, you know, said stuff that was, uh, you know, wrong and the way he yelled at him, as uh, Rendon indicated, you just can't physically cost a fan. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, the tempers are going to come out. I mean, I've I've been there. I've been in moments where there's times where I've wanted to address a fan. <laughs> um, Did you say something, like- though? Because I've seen that, Jess. Players will, like, keep their heads down, be staring in the dugout, and they'll be dropping some choice words back in response that the fan can hear without necessarily, like, going up to the net. Have you ever done that? No, I, to be honest, the times that I've had teammates that have, it only escalates because usually a fan that's saying, especially something really derogatory, really awful, they want, that's what they want. Right. <laughs> they want a reaction. They want you to, and I've noticed even when I've acknowledged, so when I've done something, it's usually shaking my head or just like throwing my hands in the air, like really? And it's not like the parent telling their son and they feel like, oh shoot, I got in trouble. It's definitely the yes, score high fives you know, all around. That's the goal. And for the fan that, that 
Anthony Rendon ended up grabbing, like, you know, it's, it's almost a win for him because ultimately he just wanted an, and if you watch even before Anthony Rendon came down the line, I mean, that guy was smacking at everybody. I mean, he was talking to him. You saw Otani coming down the tunnel. There were all kinds of guys. He was yelling and screaming. He just wanted somebody, someone hear me, see me, pay attention to me. And so like that, that's why obviously Major League Baseball has its rules and there's a, a variety of ways if you need to be able to get back at a fan, but ultimately you're only helping them by doing any sort of reaction. Uh, we mentioned that you're doing the Dodger game. You wanted to talk about a certain left-hander on their pitching staff. Oh my gosh, Buster. Julio Rios, just watching him again last night. And, you know, this is a guy, and I'm with the Dodgers now. Last year was my first year being with them a lot more than even, you know, Sunday Night Baseball, we've seen the Dodgers. So over the course of the last five, six years, we've seen a lot of Julio. But what I, I've noticed, especially around the All-Star game, being in Los Angeles last year, he was a top five in almost every pitching category and yet was not selected to the All-Star ta- team Initially, even though it was going to be in Los Angeles, there were so many different things. Um, it was almost like injuries had to happen for Julio to be able to get that recognition. And that's when the conversation I felt like really started with when you look back at how how great of a pitcher that he has been, especially when he's been healthy. Uh, you look at the numbers. I mean, he's my pick this year as a sneaky Cy Young in the National League. Because of how effective he's been with being consistent um, with with especially three of his pitches and, and being able to get ahead. Oh, two, that was a huge thing for him two and a half years ago that he has dialed in. And you'll see that with most Dodgers pitchers is getting ahead in the count and just filling up the strike zone. Julio does that well, plus the movement he has on all his pitches. But again, you know, great start. Did so well last night and no one, you know, talks about him. I mean, he is on a staff. I get it with, you know, hall of fame pitchers, Clayton Kershaw, when Marky Bueller comes back, you know, I understand, but I, Julio is that pitcher that I think, Buster, we could be talking about in the back end of the year as being a serious Cy Young candidate. Yeah, I, uh, well, there's no doubt about that, um, that he's going to be in that conversation, especially uh, because of what you're talking about. The fact that he you know, throws so many strikes and it's in the end, you know, why the Do- it's a great equalizer for the Dodgers pitching staff. And lastly, uh, we touched on this at the top of the show. Grayson Rodriguez, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, will make, make his debut later today against the Texas Rangers. What do you think? Uh, you know, it's it's moments like these, Buster. I mean, and there's so many. Obviously, we love the game. That's why, we, you know, we do this job. What I get excited about are these call-ups. And especially the buildup. Grayson Rodriguez was a guy that everyone thought would get called up last September. Remember, he had the lat injury, you know, went down, I think it was in June, but was back in September. I really thought when the O's were making that push that we were going to see this top prospect pitcher with all the stuff, one of the best changeups you will see in the game. Um, and they didn't call him up. And then, you know, the anticipation, he really did not have a good spring buster. I was there at Orioles camp last week and, you know, with so many young players, there is an excitement around the Orioles organization. I know you know this, but it was really the anticipation of like, all right, we got our last dude. Like Grayson's going to get called up here pretty soon. I know the Orioles would have rather waited. Um, this was more of an emergency. They needed them to fill in because, you know, he's been struggling with his command. But all in all, I'm going to be dialed into that game because this is, I mean, every kid, right, dreams of the moment that they get called to the major leagues. 
this is what's happening for a young pitcher that has a lot of hype around him. And honestly, within an organization that has a huge future that he's going to be a part of. Yeah. And I think in some ways it turned out to be a, you know, a nice mulligan for the Orioles organization. Cause I think big picture with the way this was handled, the way that they you know, held him down in the minor leagues last year, the tanking service time, all that stuff. The fact that they are now in a position to promote him for this start, I think in the end will be a good thing for the Orioles that, yeah, uh, you know, he winds up going there at this time. All right, Jess, thanks for doing this. Thanks Buster. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Todd Radom. Is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all around America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? Buster, doing well. Opening week, very exciting green shoots of spring here in Philadelphia. 78 degrees yesterday. Oh, my gosh. It was 11 degrees here in Bozeman. A little different, that's for sure. We're still looking for baseball weather. Last week, Taylor got a lot of notoriety on social media because of his rant against the Orioles. You are a Red Sox fan, and I'm going to give you the opportunity. You can either rant or you can compliment him. You go glass half full, glass half empty. Tell me what you're feeling about the Red Sox. Well, Buster, the difference between Taylor being an Orioles fan and me being a Red Sox fan, and I think he and I discussed this this week, is that those four World Series championships since 2004 definitely buy some equity, right? Things are not necessarily wonderful right now in Red Sox Nation, but we've got warm, rosy feelings from those four championships. Now, I'm going to just reverse course a little bit, pull the car out, and uh, screech the tires and say, what the heck is going on here? Not unexpected. <laughs> uh, this was not looking to be a stellar year, but um, listen, it's early. It's a marathon of a season. There are 162 games, but... Is this a 500 team? Is it an 83-win team? I don't think it's a World Series team. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that Chris Sale needs to get better and that their margin for error is not very high, unlike the Yankees, even the Blue Jays, you know, with the depth in their rotation. It feels like if, if Chris Sale isn't good, then what are we doing? 
Like I, I, that's how the Red Sox feel to me anyway. What does that make sense? It does make sense, and it goes. Uh, we, we, it must be said that if you are putting all of your chips in the middle of the table and betting on Chris Sale, considering what he has been the last few years, which has been injured, um, that's a very flimsy plan at best. Am I wrong? No, I think you're 100 percent right, and I did think it was a flimsy plan. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, if they continue to struggle for pitching, uh, if if we wind up seeing them being one of the midseason sellers. All right, let's get to this week's edition of Forgotten Fields. All right, Buster, I am sitting two miles away from the site of the Baker Bowl, which served as the home to the Philadelphia Phillies for 51 and a half seasons, from 1887 to 1938. The ballpark replaced a previous structure on the same site, the Philadelphia Baseball Grounds, which was destroyed by a fire in 1894. While that stadium was built entirely of wood, Baker Bowl was the first ballpark constructed primarily of steel and brick, and the first with a cantilevered upper deck. A fireproof structure was a major selling point at that time for obvious reasons, and the team touted both the safety and the beauty of the place. The look of the ballpark was unusual. The primary entrance looked like a brick castle, topped with turrets. When it opened, it was a state-of-the-art facility, but by the end of its lifespan, it was literally falling apart. The late writer Lawrence Ritter wrote, Baker Bowl began life as a mighty battleship and ended up a half half a century later as a leaky garbage scow, barely able to stay afloat. The ballpark also served as the first home to the Philadelphia Eagles when they were founded in 1933, as well as a slew of Negro Leagues baseball games. The Philadelphia Athletics' home, Scheib Park, was located only five blocks west. Now, Baker Bowl occupied a rectangular-shaped parcel of land, which necessitated some unusual dimensions. Right field was a cozy 279.5 feet from home plate. Wow. 279.5, Buster. And it was backed up by what eventually became a mammoth 60-foot high wall. Now, let's compare this to Fenway's Green Monster, which is only, and I'm using air quotes here, 37 feet tall. How tight were things on the right side of the diamond? Sports writer Red Smith wrote, It might be exaggerating to say that the outfield wall cast a shadow across the infield, but if the right fielder had eaten onions at lunch, the second baseman knew it. The gigantic right (laughs) (laughs) field... Just think about that for a second. The gigantic right field wall was covered in tin, and the sounds of balls ricocheting off the surface was a familiar sound. The Phillies were a moribund franchise in the 20s and 30s, finishing last or next to last 16 times over the course of their final 20 seasons there. A pronounced hump ran across deep center field, evidence of a train tunnel directly below. As the ballpark deteriorated, fans and writers disparagingly called it a variety of colorful names, Buster, including the dump on the hump, the toilet bowl, and Baker's bowels. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is not one of the jewel boxes. Bad baseball aside, a couple of truly tragic incidents hang heavy over the history of the Baker Bowl. In 1903, a makeshift balcony that was part of the third base stands collapsed during a Phillies Braves game leaving 12 dead and 232 people injured. In 1927, a section of the stands in right field collapsed during a game against the Cardinals, killing one and injuring 50. Baker Bowl lacked even the most rudimentary modern amenities of the era. There was no parking for cars, and there was no separate press box or public address system. Lights for night games were never a consideration there either. 
More on the state of things at Baker Bowl. When foul balls landed on the roof, rust rained down upon fans in the lower deck. (laughs) The Phillies limped along during the Great Depression, but by 1938, they had had enough of their ancient stadium. They negotiated an escape from their onerous long-term lease and agreed to be tenants of Connie Mack's Athletics, who were happy to collect rent from their new tenants. Baker Bowl's final game took place on June 30th, 1938, when the New York Giants beat up on the Phillies 14-1, dropping them to 16-41 and on the season. A crowd of some 1,500 spectators was on hand for their swan song that day, likely relieved to, es- to have escaped unharmed. Baker Bowl was converted into an auto racetrack, a used car lot, and an ice skating rink. Outdoor dances were held there. Finally, in 1950, the year that the Phillies won their first National League pennant since 1915, what was left of Baker Bowl fell to the Wreckers Bowl. Several structures currently occupy the site, including a bus depot, a Sunoco station, and a Domino's Pizza. But half a century, uh, for half a century, it was the Baker Bowl, and that is today's forgotten field. Well, of course, you know this. You had me when you're quoting Red Smith, yes. who was my inspiration to get into sports writing when he came and spoke at my high school the year before he passed away. Uh, I, as you were talking about, you know, the ugly, the ugliness of that park, and I was thinking about all those years in which the Phillies, it was incredibly ugly there. I think you would agree with me that probably the, the franchise during the history of, of, uh, of baseball the most successful franchise, without a doubt, the New York Yankees. Would you second that? I would. Co-sign? Absolutely. Okay. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Of all the teams, okay, from 1900 on, let's for, take out the Cleveland Spiders. Which franchise has had the worst, is the worst team in baseball history? Because I think the Phillies franchise is in that conversation. I think the Pittsburgh Pirates are in that conversation. I think the Colorado Rockies, to some degree, are in that conversation, although fans there you know, filled that ballpark on a consistent basis, and they love that place. You know, Oakland recently <laughs> playing in a ballpark where, you know, when it rained, when the Raiders are there, the sewage would come up and go into the, into the clubhouses. But as you know, the athletics at the beginning of the 20th century, unbelievable success. Then, of course, in the, you know, in the 70s, this incredible dynasty that they had. Billy Bean had tremendous success you know, since he took over baseball ops. So they, it can't be the Oakland Athletics. I'm asking you, Todd, what's the worst franchise in your eyes from beginning to end in baseball history? Well, Buster, I'm pretty sure that if we look at the statistics, the Philadelphia Phillies are the losingest franchise by several measures in the history of professional baseball. If I'm not mistaken, they were the first to lose 10,000 games as a franchise. I'm pretty sure that's correct. And think about the fact that they went from, again, 1915 to 1980 between National League pennants. They broke through for their first World Series title in 1980. The franchise was founded in 1883. And not only were their losses buster, but they were terrible seasons. Again, think about the fact that As I said uh, just a little while ago, I think it was 16 of 20 seasons either in last or next to last place in an eight-team National League. They played in this awful ballpark. There was no hope. And finally, in 1950, a huge season in the history of this franchise, uh, a reinvigorated ownership, a reinvigorated farm system. Um, They break through, and it was really the timing of that buster that probably meant that the Phillies stayed in Philadelphia while the A's, who had really fallen on hard times by then, 
departed for Kansas City. It could have been the other way around. Yeah, you're right. So as we get ready for this week's quiz, Sarah, uh, you've been a Phillies fan your whole life of the last year. What's your take on that? The Phillies, maybe the worst franchise in the history of baseball. You know what? As a lifelong Phillies fan, I'm super loyal. And so I will be with them through every journey, every phase, every high, every low, because I'm a lifelong fan as of a year ago. Sarah would have been a season ticket holder at the Baker Bowl, right? (laughs) With Russ falling down upon her. Yeah, I would have been there. Rain or shine. There you go. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, everybody, here we go. Which of the following franchises never won 100 games in a single season? Is it A, the Rays? Is it B, the Angels? Is it C, the Blue Jays? Or is it D, the Arizona Diamondbacks? One of these franchises has never won 100 games in a single season. Rays, Angels, Blue Jays, Diamondbacks. Sarah, you want to go first? Sure. I'm going to go Diamondbacks. Taylor? Um, let's go Rays. I'm going Diamondbacks. Well, you are all wrong because it is the Blue Jays. Wow. The Diamondbacks won 100 games in 1999, folks. The Rays won 100 games in 2021. The Angels in 2008. The Blue Jays with two World Series championships and a number of fine teams across their history. They're far from the worst. They have never won 100 games in a single season. Wow. Well, this has been a good week for me because I didn't lose ground for the first time since we started the quiz. So uh, I, at, uh, I, I, I'm going to deem this a success and a step forward as I uh, try to overtake Taylor and Sarah. Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Scott Appleman writes, In the Padres radio broadcast, describe Manny Machado's pitch clock violation strikeout as caught not looking. If a backwards K means caught looking, what do we write for a pitch clock strikeout when keeping score? Yeah, how about the K pointing downward? Ooh. Does, that, uh, does that sound good? You got one facing forward and we got one facing backward. How about downward? I think I uh, heard on the the Dodgers broadcast last night, they were saying circle the K. What do you think about that? No, I circle every K. <laughs> okay. Uh, Johnny at Good to Be Alive 5 writes in, hopefully not too late for opening weekend rover reactions, but do you th- feel there will be more emphasis on contact, small ball, overpower in the coming years with how effective the Guardians, quote unquote, disgusting style of baseball is? Yeah, I don't think so because I think a lot of the you know the the big swings that's coming from the players. I was having a conversation with a longtime coach the other day, and he said to me, "It really comes down to players getting paid, and a lot of them feel like their best chance getting paid the most amount of money is hitting the ball out of the ballpark." Evan C writes in, "Hey Buster, the Guardians and A's had a really wild back and forth game last night, and there were only three thousand people at the Coliseum. You could hear individual fans on the broadcast, and yet another fabulous Jose Ramirez game. Wanted someone to know, right? Exactly. Yeah, we got uh, you know the the stagecoach arrived with news from the Guardians and Oakland game the other day. You really <laughs> hope that their ballpark situation gets settled." Anson at Mr. Anson writes, and holy moly, did Austin Riley absolutely mash Monday night, and he did on Tuesday night as well, against St. Louis. Is there another team that can maximize the long ball like the Braves? I don't think so. Yeah, there is. The Yankees, who had more homers than the Braves last year. The Braves (laughs) led the National League. The Yankees led the American League. 
Brad Wolf at BWolf17 has a great question. Uh, what, which is harder to get back to after Sunday Night Baseball, Vermont or Montana? So when I was living back east, uh, I actually lived in Westchester County in New mm-hmm. York. That was pretty easy. It definitely takes longer to get back to Montana. But let me tell you, I'm building up some serious airline miles. <laughs> oh, you were grinding on Monday. Snowstorms abound. I mean, hopefully this won't be a problem for much longer. <laughs> but uh, PK Steinberg writes in question for uh, Buster and Sarah. If fans of Taylor Swift are called Swifties, are we the fans of Taylor Schwink called Schwinkies? Ooh. Oh, my God. So <laughs> you've officially entered the, the Taylor Schwink portion of the podcast, Sarah. What do you say? I love that name. I think it's perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. All right, PK. Appreciate it. Last one for today. Spence at Texas Baseball Fan writes, and I must say that Taylor's rant last week was the best thing I've heard on the podcast in a while. It was refreshing and new. Any consideration to making it a monthly regular edition? I would dub it the hashtag Taylor Tantrum. Buster's shaking his head. No way, Jose. Well, I'm just kind of <laughs> chuckling because like Joey Votto was on, like future Hall of Famer was on recently. <laughs> His talks about the rules. I had text messages from people we work with saying, boy, Joey Votto should be commissioner of baseball, but Taylor's rant winning out in the eyes of Spence. But I would say I like that idea. How about Friday be like your rant day? And if that's the case, if you're going to give us a rant on Friday, what's a preview we can expect? Oh boy. Um, I feel like I've exhausted all my Orioles materials. So I need to, uh, I need to dive a little bit deeper here. I mean, it, it, targeting, uh, other ALAs teams could, could be something, uh, I could get into. So we shall see. Okay. But I'm expecting a rant on Friday. Okay. To start to bleach your tweets. All right. That's a lot of pressure. I'll be ready, Buster. You can't let down the Schwankies. You have, you can't let down your Schwankies. You have to keep them on the train. Yeah. And you, you've seen the movie Network, too, right, Taylor? Network? Yes. The social Network? No. Network. No. The no. famous line, uh, you know, I'm angry and I'm not going to take it anymore, William Holden. You got to find that because <laughs> that sets you up perfectly. All right. Well, that'll be our, our lead in. And when you're doing hashtag bleacher tweets while you're watching games, send me some some rant uh, ideas and we'll uh, we'll go to the drawing board and figure something out. Thanks I for like that, everybody. you know, and yeah, at yeah. some point, Sarah, you're going to have to sub in for Taylor. And I want to hear what a Sarah Abbott rant sounds like, because I just can't imagine it. <laughs> can we do anything here? Can I keep can I does it have to be baseball? Could I could it just be no, life stuff? It's baseball. It's a baseball podcast. Let's oh, go. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. I okay. want you to generate some serious rant anger every week. Okay. Okay. I'll burn hot for you, Buster. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Jess Eduardo, Todd, Sarah Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.